Thank you. So uh, Bob and I uh, played softball together in the summers many, many years ago. And um, uh, it's not the, it, they weren't the finest years of my life. I'll just put it that way. I was, I was saved after that. And Bob told me when he asked me to come speak here this morning, don't tell him any stories about me. And I said, I said, Bob, there aren't any stories to tell about you because while the rest of us were acting like idiots, you were always 10 feet away just shaking your head at us. So I want you to know that the Lord was preparing your pastor for many, many years, even on the softball diamonds in southern Kansas. But um, I am so honored to be here this morning. I, uh, I preach often in Oklahoma. Uh, I've been ordained by the Southern Baptists. And, uh, and so I preach frequently there, and I've preached into Texas a little bit. But you're looking at a guy who was born in the state capital of Kansas, uh, whose dad served as a state trooper in this state, and I grew up in Independence and then went to high school and college in Winfield. And this is the first time I've ever been able to share Christ in the state of Kansas. And I am so excited to be here. So thank you for giving me this opportunity. And I, I just want to say this, after the musical worship you all just experienced, I have no idea what you want with me. But... But you know what? You don't need me. What we all need is the Word of the Lord, right? So let's, let's get into the Word. If you would, open your Bibles or your phone or what, however you access the Scriptures to John chapter 12. And we're going to be in the first six verses of John chapter 12. And I'll read them for us. Six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at, at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Let's pray. Father, we, we need to hear from you this morning, and we desperately need your Holy Spirit. Because apart from that Spirit, we cannot understand nor put to use the value that's found on the pages of Scripture. And so this morning, we invite, we beg your Holy Spirit to fill us, and, and we pray that these words will be seared into our minds, that we will put them into practice for the glory of your kingdom, and it's in Christ's name we pray, and everyone said, amen. I've been at the University of Oklahoma for 20 years. I realize to many of you that disqualifies me from ministry. That's okay. Um, uh, I got my graduate degree from Kansas State. I wore blue today for the Jayhawks, and if you'd have seen my hair when I got up this morning, I looked a little like the Wooshock. So that's, uh, I'm still, still very much a Kansan. But we on our website will sometimes sell game-worn items or uh, game-used materials, um, jerseys, pylons from the end zone, that sort of thing. And they go, as you can imagine, for a, a pretty high sum of money. And what we will do is when we sell them, we sign a little card, a couple of us in the department sign a card, and we put it in there. And that is the certificate of authenticity 
so that the person who paid way too much money for a piece of cloth will know that it was, in fact, what we said it was. It was used by us in a game or for some other purpose that was related directly to, to the Sooners. And that's an important piece to them. And today's passage is, is a little bit like that because it's going to show us the, sh- the sharp contrast between the genuine article and the imposter. And I think that's an important message for us to look at because sometimes it can be very hard for us to distinguish the difference. This is one week before Passover. So this is a time of elevated emotion. Lazarus has been raised from the dead, so there must be elation. And we read over that. And and I'm going to tell you a mistake we make with Scripture. We read it too quickly. Because when we read over these verses, and it says, Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead, can you imagine sitting at a dinner table with somebody who a few days ago was dead? We should never get that complacent about Scripture and what Christ has done, not only on the pages of Scripture, but in our own lives. And so you have the elation of that. But you also have this, which is in John um, chapter 11, verses 53 and 57. And this is talking about the Pharisees. And it says, so from that day on, they planned to kill him. And then in verse 57, it says they'd given orders that if anyone knew where he was, Jesus, they were to report it so that they might seize him. So look at the confluence of emotions that we have going on here. We have the elation that would come from the resurrection of Lazarus. And you have the Jewish elite, the Pharisees of that day, who have put a bounty on Jesus' head. And here we are at dinner in Bethany. The disciples would all be there. There'd be a lot of conversation, a lot of commotion. We have, in verse 2, you have the, uh, the greatest domestic servant maybe of all time, Martha. And she'd be busy working about the house as the women would be doing. And Lazarus is sitting there at the table. And again, it's a miracle in our midst that he's sitting there. And then all of a sudden, we get to verse 3. And verse 3 says, Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mood change. I want you to imagine the commotion that might have been going on in that small house when this woman takes this perfume, anoints the feet of Jesus, pulls down her hair, and wipes his feet. It's the kind of thing that'll throw a little bit of silence over the room, and why? Well, just the act itself. But this, this is no average perfume. This is nard. It can't be found in this part of the world where they are. It's imported from northern India. So rare is it and so expensive is it that it's thought by many scholars to be a family heirloom that's been passed down. And she takes this costly perfume and anoints Jesus' feet with it. It tells us that it was worth 300 denarii. 300 denarii was a year's wage at this time. So let's put that in some some present-day context. 
The average household wage or the, or the average individual wage in our country and maybe in the state of Kansas, somewhere in the $30,000 to $40,000 range. The most expensive perfume, I looked this up, cologne rather, that you can buy at Dillard's is a bottle of Creed. Eight and a half ounces, it's made in France. Eight and a half ounces is $670. I, I imagine many of you are wearing it here this morning. $670 for eight and a half ounces. What Mary did was pour the equivalent of 52 bottles or 3.4 gallons of Creed on his feet. She unbound her hair, something that Jewish women didn't do. And in the Hebrew it says, she struck this position, the shemka, which is bowing down before him. What an extreme act of worship. But let's not get caught up in the trappings of what Mary did. Let's get caught up in her heart. What would possess a woman to do this? What would lead a woman to exhibit this kind of worship. And we have to ask him, ask ourselves, do we love him that much? This is why people are martyred. Last weekend in western Oklahoma, I preached out of Acts chapter 8. It talks about how when Paul went into Jerusalem, all the Christians of that time fled to other parts of Judea and Samaria. And that's another thing we just read over. They fled. Persecution came to their front porch. They grabbed their kids and whatever was on their back and they ran. Because you could either stay and bow the knee to a false religion or you could follow Christ and run for your life. Those were the choices they had. Loving Christ in the first century came with a price tag. And Mary didn't care. Her love for him and her worship for him exceeded whatever the risk or whatever the cost might be. And friends, there's an example in that for you and me. In Mark's gospel, chapter 14, verse 9, look what it says. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. Well, it's more than 2,000 years later, and here we are. And what she has done, we will speak of. Because it's the kind of worship that we should all have for our Lord. In verses 4 through 6 of this scripture, we get the contrast. We see one who truly understood what it meant to follow Jesus and one who was still lost to that precious salvation. Here's what it says in verse four. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. This is the most tragic figure in human history, Judas Iscariot. He's a complete fraud. 
It reminds me of, of what we had to go through a few years ago in athletics. We, we had a, a few episodes happen that forced us to change the way that we do our business. What happened was there were a number of coaches who were hired and it was found out that they had falsified their resumes and they weren't exactly who they said they were. One of them was the coach at an Ivy League school who had put on his resume that he was a Rhodes Scholar and he had played for the San Francisco 49ers. Go big or go home, I guess, because neither one of those was true. <laughs> there was another one who was hired at one of the biggest names in college football. He claimed that he'd gone to the University of New Hampshire, been a three-year letterman, and graduated. He never played in a game, and he never graduated. So these men were frauds. They were imposters. They weren't who they claimed to be. So we had to start doing background checks in a whole different way. And so we'll do a background check on Judas. I want you to think about what Judas saw in three years with Christ. He walked with him for three years and did not believe. Have you ever thought about what he witnessed? Remarkable teaching like the Sermon on the Mount, the healing of a leper, healing the paralytic on, the mount, on a mat, casting out a legion of demons, healing a woman of perpetual bleeding, feeding thousands of people from a few loaves and fish, which is a good place to stop and say that if Judas really thought that the 300 denarii were that important, Jesus could have snapped his finger and there would have been a lot more than that. He saw him walk on water and he saw the resurrection of Lazarus. But here's the thing. If the 12 had walked in here today, you would have thought he was one of them. You would have seen him as one of the 12 and you wouldn't have known the difference. And he was the one who was going to betray Christ. He was part of the inner circle. Even in John 6, when it said that many left him, remember after he said, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh, and it says that many went away? Judas didn't. He stayed. And not only did he stay, but he earned enough trust among the group that he was named the treasurer. So if you think for a minute you would have walked around with those 12 and figured it out, you probably wouldn't have. Because remember this, all the things that it says about Judas, including what it says in this scripture, did you see the disparaging remarks about him because it said he reached into the money bag and he would keep some for himself? That's postscript. They didn't know that then or they would have never put him in charge of the money. You see how it's hard to tell the difference? This is the kind of thing that makes me examine my own heart. And I hope it does all of us. Well, it was about 2,000 years later, there was another imposter. This one kept a Bible on his desk. He was the president of his high school's Fellowship of Christian Athletes chapter. He always made sure on his resume that he listed all of his Christian activity because that was the character he wanted to be known for. He went to church, he came down to the front, he took communion, but he wasn't saved. And that imposter was me. Until a very odd set of circumstances drove me to my knees. And I'm going to tell you the story of how I was converted. And what I want you to hear is how the Lord works in a very difficult circumstance. 
I was the sports information director at Kansas State. Had been for eight years. And it had gone very well. Now, those were the pre-Bill Snyder days. So for me to say it was going well might be a stretch. Um, we, we used to laugh, you know, back then, um, people would call the ticket office and say, what time's the game start on Saturday? And we'd say, what time can you be here? <laughs> and uh, it was a little different. <laughs> but we had won the Big Eight Skyrider, that dates me a little bit, we'd won the Big Eight Skyrider stop of the year two years in a row with a team that, we had, we had more awards for the Big Eight Skyriders than we did wins on the football field now that I think about it. But that's what, what we did. So it was going really well. But there was some political stuff going on there that I got on the wrong side of. And one day, a senior associate athletic director, same position I hold today, called me into his office and said, the old man wants you to find a new job. The old man was the university president. Now, one year before that, in the spring, I had gotten a call from Doug Elgin, who is the commissioner of the Missouri Valley Conference, and Doug said, Kenny, how would you like to come and work at Illinois State University? Well, if you know anything about college athletics, you know that Kansas State is here and Illinois State is somewhere down here. And the fact that he had the nerve to call me for that job, in my own piety, I was blown away. I thought, who does this guy think he is calling me to go work at Illinois State when I'm already at Kansas State. I'm at a better career rung. And that was precisely what was going through my head. I'm ashamed to admit. We hung up the phone. The year transpires. They tell me they don't want me there anymore. I go home. And that night when I was let go from K-State, I gave my, my life to the Lord. And what I told him was, I know that you know that I've been faking it all these years, but tonight that all comes to an end. Tonight I am bowing my knee to you once and for all. There were no angels in the room, no fireworks, but I was a changed man. I went into work within the next day or two, and I picked up a copy of the NCAA News, and I looked back at the market, which is where the jobs were listed. This is one year later. There's one job available. <laughs> the guy who took it stayed one year. Illinois State was open again. They'd already interviewed four people for the job. A friend of mine made a call, and they hired me. I used to stop the story right there, and that was a mistake, because what people heard was Kenny got saved and Kenny got a job. It's the quid pro quo arrangement with Jesus, and that ain't how it works. And if you think it is, then flip back and look at the fate of the disciples. We know what happened to Judas. That takes us down to 11. John suffered life imprisonment. The other 10, we believe, were martyred, killed for their belief. No, here's what happened, and it's in Colossians 1, and this, these are my life verses. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. 
That's what happened to me that night. The job was a blessing. I'm thankful for it. I think God gave me that episode because I've been able to share it so many places. But I want you to hear me clear. What happened to me that night was not as simple as a job. It was the transformation of my soul from hell to heaven. I went from being Judas to being Mary. And I wanted to serve him. I hadn't fooled God. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And Psalm 33.13, I love. This is from the NIV. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, and listen to this, who considers everything they do. He considers everything we do. So, church, if you're out there today and you are the former version of me, he knows. And he has you here today because he's calling your name to come to forgiveness. And let me stand here as an example of the transformation that takes place when we give our lives to him. Now, two things. He calls us to embrace the hope of salvation for the very first time. So if that's you, I hope that will happen for you this day. For the rest of us, he calls us to serve, to worship. Notice what Mary did. She washed his feet. What was she all about? Worshiping, serving. Worshiping, serving. And it's a great message we have to share. It's the best. It's the one that saves us for all of eternity. It's wrapped in love. It's full of grace and mercy. There could not be a better message out there, right? The whole world can't wait to hear this. Or can they? Listen to what Jesus said. Listen to this pep rally he gives his disciples when he sends them out. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 10. Verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent of doves. Be on your guard, and you will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. Two years ago, we built a $160 million facility for our football team. It's where they train, it's where they're housed. But I'm gonna tell you the primary reason we built it, for recruiting. So that when people, when prospects come to our campus, they see this immaculate, massive training facility. We know how to recruit. Matthew 10 is not how you recruit. This can be difficult. I always read, Pastor Bob referenced Paul, and, and so much fun to study Paul. Paul's first mission trip, he goes to Iconium and Lystra, and what happens to him? They stone him, drag him out of town, and leave him for dead. 
Now, I want to pose a question to you that sounds kind of funny, but it's a serious question. How many of you would have gone on that first mission trip with Paul with your big floppy hat, your backpack full of water and insect repellent, been stoned and left for dead and signed up for the second trip? How many of us would sign up for the second trip? That answer gets right in the middle of me. So how do we do it? I'll wrap it up with this. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro across the whole earth that he might strongly support those who are completely his. Is that a great verse? What a great verse. You think about it, he considers everything we do. His eyes are searching the earth looking for us. And there's a story in my past that I want to tell, and I've told this a couple times, to drive home this verse. And it involves my dad, and I don't think he's ever heard it before, and he's here this morning. So I'm anxious for him to hear this. Um, I was a, and, and I keep this, there's going to be more context here. I was a phenomenally good Little League basketball player, really good. Mostly because I just played all the time, but I was really, really good. And on Saturday mornings, this is, I was living in Independence, Kansas at the time, and, and on Saturday mornings, we would have our Little League basketball games, and normally, Dad would take me. And when we would get done with those games, we would go home, and we would sit in the driveway, and we would talk about the games. And it wasn't a browbeating at all. It, it was just kind of talking about the games. Do you remember those? 1104 North 9th Street, sitting in the driveway in Independence, Kansas. Well, I get a little bit older, and uh, the other kids start to catch up with me. And by the time we get to high school, I'm just kind of an average player. Except for one night, we're playing El Dorado. And normally I have to explain where El Dorado is, so it's really great to be somewhere where everybody knows where El Dorado is. <laughs> and I, for the only time in my career, experienced what it means to be in the zone. I could have thrown it up blindfolded backwards over my head and it would have gone in. I, I, I made a, listen, I made a four-point play in this game and that was before the three-point line, so roll that around in your head for a little while. But dad, who was, I mentioned earlier was a state trooper, was not there. And I remember thinking during that game, I remember exactly where my late mother was sitting. She was right behind the scores table and I was thrilled to death that she was there. But man, I wanted dad to see this. I mean, I wanted everybody to see it, but I really wanted dad to see it. And I thought about that two or three times during the game. I wanted being our leading scorer that night. I heard the words that I never heard any other night, and that was, let's get the ball to Kenny. And I thought, boy, dad would be really proud to see this. Well, the way our gym was built, if you've ever, if you've ever been to the gym in Winfield, you enter from the top and come down. So if you're down on the floor, if you're focused on a game, you don't see, you can't see the top. And I remember at a point in the second half where I got a free throw opportunity and I turned around to look at our coach and for whatever reason, my eyes went up to the top of that gym and standing on that rail was the blue uniform of a Kansas Highway Patrol trooper. Derelict in his duties. 
but at the game. And you know how I felt when I saw that. So here's what I'll close with. If my heavenly dad will do that for me, what will our heavenly father do for us? If we're called to serve him and Jesus promises us that it will be difficult and we're starting to sense that, aren't we? That he's calling us to not be scared because his eyes search the whole earth and do you, did you hear what those verses said? That he can strongly support those, and then I want you to hear the next word, who are completely his. Strongly support those who are completely his. So here's the encouragement this morning from Mary. Let's be completely his. Let's serve him with no regard for cost or risk. Let's be the army that he has called us to be. And let's see what he might do through us in building his kingdom. And then let me leave you with this. If you're the other man in this story, oh, you might never betray Jesus, but you're just as lost. Then scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. So let today be that day. The joy that you see on this stage, this, this incredible music, grows out of the love that we have for the Lord. That can be yours if it's not now. And I pray that it will be. Let's pray. Father, you are a great God. And you call us to be your servants. You don't need us, but nevertheless you call us. And I pray this morning that we will give no regard to our own well-being or what it might cost, but that we will truly begin to understand and embrace what it means to follow you. Use us, Lord, as we can. Make us faithful. Make us obedient to you. Use us as you will. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.